I was reading the New York Times this week, and as I read this article, I felt like it reminded me of where we're going to find David in our passage this morning. The article was an opinion piece by a mom, a wife. Uh, her name was, is Carrie Thompson. She's an English teacher. And she wrote about <clears throat> how after her son Ben died, uh, she turned to hiking mountains and how uh, she had hiked what's called the NH48, the New Hampshire 48 tallest mountains, each being over 4,000 feet in elevation. That's not an easy task, if you doubted me. Um, here's what she wrote in this article. She said, my son Ben, 23 when he died, was always most at home when he was outside. And as I struggle with his unimaginable loss, I found peace in the rush of rivers and streams, the open majesty of the New Hampshire mountaintops where he spent his childhood. The year after his death, I hiked 48 of the state's tallest mountains in his memory. Hiking has been a way to hide from the trauma of loss, the judgment and stigma of suicide and reaction to my family's openness about it. Every step, every trail, every summit, whether socked in or wide open, has been a way to heal. And it sounds like David. You know, we've been walking through 2 Samuel, and we think back just a few chapters ago, all the loss that David has experienced. And so what we're going to see in chapter 15 and 16 this morning, David is grieving, and he's hiking mountains. You know, think of all that loss in chapter 12. David and Bathsheba, the loss of his son with Bathsheba, the carnage of Amnon and Tamar. He's lost Amnon. He's lost Tamar to the, the wickedness of her brother. He has this lost and fractured relationship with Absalom. I mean, David has been surrounded by loss. And in these last couple chapters, we've seen this, this wave building all around him where now he is surrounded. He is losing his kingdom. He is about to, to leave Jerusalem because of his son. And so in his grief, in this loss, he climbs the Mount of Olives just east of Jerusalem. Now, it's not, wouldn't qualify as a NH48 mountain. It's only 2,600 feet of elevation, but he's going to be barefooted. So give him a break. I mean, this is a big mountain. He is grieving. He is hurting. He's experienced loss, and now he's going to go hike. And so as, as we read the text this morning, be mindful of just a couple of things. Uh, first, notice the geographic markers of the story. It kind of stands out from some of the passages we've been reading, but I think the, the author very intentionally is giving us the geographical markers as he climbs this mountain, summits it, and goes and descends the other side. And so be mindful of it. And I think the, the purpose of the markers are for us to picture it to kind of imagine where David was, in a sense, to walk with David, to hike with David as he climbs this mountain. But then also notice the different characters he meets at the different crossroads of this mountain. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, it reads like Pilgrim's Progress. He's going to meet these four different characters at four different sections of his hike, and each of these characters, very different people, very different lessons for David as he makes this journey, and it's important for us to see. So I'll start in verse 23. I'm going to jump to verse 30 through 37. 
And then we'll read the first 14 verses of chapter 16. Verse 23 of chapter 15. And all the land wept aloud as the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kedron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. Verse 30. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in times past. So now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are there with them. Ahamaez and Zadok's son and Jonathan Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkey are for the king's household to ride on the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. When David came to Baharim, there came, out of a, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, what have you done so? Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai, to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone? Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look all the, on all the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed him as he went, threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself.
Let's pray. And so, God, we come to your word. We come to this journey up this mountain. And, God, we pray that as we look at the story of David and the hike of David and the sadness of David and the characters that David meets, God, we pray that in this story we'd find hope, that we'd find encouragement. We all go up mountains. We all have our own struggles. We all have our own dealings with sadness and hurt. And so, God, I pray that as we think of this story, God, that you would teach us not just about ourselves, but about your son, Jesus Christ. God, we ask that through your spirit, you would open up our, up our mind to, to think, our eyes to see, and our hearts to hear. May we come before you. You know us better than anyone. And may despite ourselves, may we hear from you today by the power of your spirit and in the son of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As I was thinking about my outline for the text this morning, these different characters, and I thought instead of just listing the different characters, I thought I'd give you a little bit of a drawing of mine. And as I did it, I was embarrassed about my drawing. But I'm going to give you a drawing because I think it's important. Don't laugh. That's good, right? It's on my computer. But I thought it was important for us to see, to picture the journey that David goes on and the characters that he meets, because I think the geography matters in this story. And so if you, we started in verse 23, and that's because that's one of the first geographical markers. It says, David and his men leave Jerusalem and they go down into the brook of Kadron. This is the Kadron Valley. It's still right out, sits right outside of the city of Jerusalem still today. David and his men leave the city. They go down into the valley. And then in chapter 15 and chapter 16, he begins his ascent of the Mount of Olives. Verse 30, we meet the first character on this journey. I'm going to call him the herald where he is told about his friend Ahithophel, who has betrayed him and gone to work for Absalom. And then in verse 32, he be, the text tells us, as he gets closer to the summit, he meets his second character, Hushai the archite, who I will call the servant. He gets to the summit, he begins to descend, and he meets Ziba, servant to Mephibosheth, who I will call the imposter. And then lastly, down at the foot of the mountain in a little town, Baharim, David meets the tormentor, Shimei. And so what we're going to see four characters, four scenes. God is teaching David. He is shaping David through his grief. If my picture's not good enough, I thought I'd give you some actual pictures, not quite as good as my drawing, but... This is in Jerusalem, looking down into the valley. And so you notice there's a little car down there on the road, but this is still the Kadron Valley today. It descends pretty steeply. And as you come up out of the Kadron Valley, you begin to hike up the Mount of Olives. And so here's a picture on halfway up the Mount of Olives, looking back into Jerusalem. You see the Kadron Valley. And as you continue to go up the mountain, you can see you get higher and higher. Jerusalem gets smaller and smaller. But this is the geography, and it's still there today. And I think it's helpful for us as we picture what David is walking through as we seek to study this passage. So David meets the herald in verse 30 and 31. I'll read it again. But David went up 
the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolish. I mean, we can feel the level of difficulty of David in this passage. I mean, it's not hard to picture. He's climbing a mountain. How many of you like to climb mountains? When was the last mountain you climbed? It's hard work. I mean, this is what David is doing. He is ascending up the mountain. He is exhausted. And if you've ever climbed a mountain like this, it will take your breath away. I was climbing a mountain yesterday, and I had a bike, and I was miserable, even with the bike. David, in the heat, in the weather, in the terrain, he is climbing this mountain. And he's not just climbing the mountain. He's climbing, and the text tells us he is weeping as he goes. So how does that work? I mean, have you tried to go for a run while crying? I mean, it doesn't go together. You are out of breath because you're exercising yet you are also out of breath because you are weeping. This is a difficult thing for David. This is doubly as hard. He is climbing and he is weeping as he goes. But he's not just weeping and climbing. The text gives us a few other details. He is crying because he is all, I'm sorry, he is crying, he is climbing, but we're also told he is barefoot and he has a, a towel over his head. So here's what I want you to do. This afternoon, not this, it doesn't have to be this afternoon, but this week or the next couple weeks, go to Governor Deck. You know the little hike that gets you up to the observation tower? Go and do the hike, but before you do the hike, take your shoes off, take your socks off, think of something emotional that makes you cry, and then put a towel over your head and begin your, your ascent up to the observation tower. Don't worry about what anyone's thinking. People are going to look at you funny. But I mean, just imagine this. I mean, David is grieving. This this is a processional out of the funeral. I mean, he's experienced loss. This is what it, this is the picture the text is giving us. This is a funeral march. He is being chased out of Jerusalem. He has experienced loss. I mean, if we've been in Samuel for a long time. Do you remember way back? I mean, how long it took David to get to, to Jerusalem? I mean, months and months of our study through 1 Samuel. All the time, all the caves that he had to hide in. Finally, he gets to Jerusalem, and now he is having to leave because his own son is chasing him out. He is taking the throne. I mean, it is not hard to picture the difficulty and the sadness of David as he leaves Jerusalem, and he goes up this mountain, and so he's climbing and he's barefooted and he's crying and his head is covered. And then some unnamed hiker, this herald comes next to him and just delivers just another blow to David. He says, by the way, your closest friend and advisor, Ahithophel, now works for Absalom. And he knows everything about you, David. He knows where you go and how, what your strategy is and what you're going to do. And so now he's working with Absalom. I mean, it's not good for David. I mean, he's just getting piled on and piled on here in the text. And so you feel the weight of the burden that he's carrying. And so the question is, for us, as we read the text, what's he going to do about this? 
How, I mean, how's he going to respond to all this, this awful situation? I mean, he's climbing, but it sure feels like he's at the bottom. I mean, he is trapped. Now that Absalom has Ahithophel, I mean, what's, what's he going to do about that? I mean, all the odds are stacked against David. So what does he do? He keeps climbing and he prays. I think it's really interesting. I mean, he's out of breath. He doesn't offer some long-winded prayer. He very simply prays, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness, God. I mean, you can, you can hear the desperation. I mean, it's a, it's a long-shot prayer. I mean, there's, you can't imagine that David knew how God would do that. I mean, Ahithophel was, if you read the story of Ahithophel, I mean, he is the wisest of all wise. And so David, in his desperation, without knowing how God is going to do it and show up, he prays, will you please stop the counsel of Ahithophel? And then all of a sudden, he's praying that prayer. You can just picture it. He's hiking up that mountain. He's praying. He's crying. He's desperate. God, stop Ahithophel. And then over the summit comes a man on the road. It's Hushai. And you can just picture David. It's like, this is it. I mean, he's thinking about his prayer. I mean, how is God going to do this? God, please help me. And God brings him this man, and all the dots are connected for David. Here is the answer to my prayer. It takes one verse for God to answer this prayer. He brings him Hushai. You can see the light bulb go off in David's head, and he comes up with this plan. You're not able to come with me? Maybe he was too old. Maybe the journey was going to be too much. He said, I need you to go back to Jerusalem. I need you to go back, and I need you to confuse Ahithophel. I need you to give another voice, another opinion, another plan. I need you to work yourself into one of Absalom's advisors, and I need you. When you hear the plan for them to come to get me, you need to deliver it to the priests that are there with you who we met. We met in the valley. You need to give it to their sons, and they will come, and they will tell me how this is going to work. And look at, look at his response, Hushai's response in verse 37. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. We don't, he doesn't say what his response is, but clearly he says, I will do what you've asked me to do, David. I will serve you. The text says it's, he's one of David's friends. This isn't the typical Hebrew word for friend. This is more like an advisor who is closely connected to the one he serves. It's a perfect word for Hushai. He is the friend who serves. He is saying to David, I will, I will risk my life for you. I will be the answer to your prayer. I will serve you even if it costs me everything. I mean, the risk for Hushai to go back into Jerusalem when he has been the servant to David, it is a great risk. But he says, I am willing to go even if it costs me everything. And then David gets to the summit. So he meets Hushai, he sends him on, he gets to the summit, and the text doesn't tell us what he does on the summit. I mean, he had to stop and look back, right? I mean, you just can imagine, again, looking, David, at the top of the Mount of Olives, pausing, looking back to Jerusalem, thinking, what has happened? 
I mean, there's lots of psalms. Psalm 3 is one that was written on this journey. I, I kind of picture him writing it at the summit, getting to the top of the mountain, lamenting to God about what has happened. And this is where David is. And he starts to descend the mountain. We meet our third character, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, and who I'm calling the imposter. And if you remember Ziba, we've met Ziba, we've met Mephibosheth back in chapter 9. Mephibosheth was the last son of Jonathan, the last grandson to Saul. And all expectations for David, now that he is the king, is to do what kings did. End the lineage of Saul. End it. Kill them. Exterminate them. Or else you're going to have problems. But David, very wisely, very godly man, says, no. No, I will offer peace and mercy and forgiveness. And so he brings Mephibosheth in. He's carried in because he's lame. He, he can't walk in the picture of him being carried in before King David. And King David literally gives him everything. Gives him inheritance, dignity, fields to work, and a new identity. Sit at my table. You are my son. You are like my son. And as he gives all these things to Mephibosheth, he charges Ziba. Ziba, you will be a servant to Mephibosheth. Serve him, provide for him, care for him. He's like my son. And so now here, up on the other side of the mountain, comes this big old processional of stuff donkeys and, and wine and, and bread and raisins and fruit. And David sees all this. And the first thing he says, he says to, to Ziba, what are you doing? Like I charged you to use all these things for the good of Mephibosheth. And here you are coming up this mountain with all these stuff. Why are you here? Why are you doing this? And where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba says to him, well, all these are for you, you and all your king's servants. You're tired. You're climbing this mountain. Ride the donkey. Enjoy the food. The wine is for those who are faint-hearted. These are all an offering to you, the king. And Mephibosheth, he says. Let me tell you about Mephibosheth. He stayed in Jerusalem, which is true. He's in Jerusalem. But he is anticipating the pendulum to swing from the house of David to the house of of Saul. He is anticipating the throne for himself. He wants to be king. He wants to be in charge. He, he has betrayed you, David. And so David is processing this. He's considering this. He's thinking about this. Not only has he been exhausted and is he grieving, but now we see David is angry. And he says, how, how can Mephibosheth do, do this after all that I did for him? And so David makes a pretty hasty decision. Not a good idea when you're tired. Not a good idea to make big decisions when you're grieving or angry, but this is what David does. He says, you, Ziba, get everything. Verse four, everything that was Mephibosheth is now yours. And on the surface, this makes, this makes sense. And hopefully you're kind of catching my tone. We learn later in the story, and we'll get there in a few weeks, Ziba's lying. Ziba is an imposter. He is a fake. He is a phony. He has made up this story because he is greedy for his own gain. And then if knowing that, you look back at, at the things he says, it, it doesn't add up. Ziba, where are your servants? Where are the people that worked for you? It's kind of odd that it's just Ziba. 
And then the story about Mephibosheth, it, it just doesn't add up. Why would Mephibosheth think that the pendulum is going to swing back to the house of Saul? It's Absalom that is the threat to the throne from the line of David. It's not the house of Saul. And so the story, it doesn't add up, but it proves to be, it proves to be false. And now reading that truth back into this story, this whole thing is creepy. I mean, Ziba looks rather spiritual. I pay homage to the king. I bow down to the king. I worship the king. I give great offerings to the king. Yet we know that he, the king, has been deceived. He's been bought. He's been lied to. And finally, he gets down to the foot of the mountain. Little town, Baharim. Still there. Today, David meets this final character, the tormentor. I'm, to me, this is the most interesting character of the story. Shimei, I think it's pretty safe to say, not a happy camper. Cursing David. I mean, get out. Get out. And you read that and you're like, what do you mean, get out? He's out. He's left Jerusalem. He's gone through the brook of Kedron. He's climbed the mountain. He's descending the mountain. He's about to cross the Jordan. He's about to be in the wilderness. What do you mean, get out? Get out. He is in the process of getting out. But the man is just angry. I mean, he's just throwing a temper tantrum. And he's cursing him, and he's throwing pebbles at him. It's just a bizarre picture. It's like a toddler. Like, what, why are you so angry? He says, get out, get out. You are a man of blood, you worthless man. And then in verse 8, he says, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son, Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. But here's what's interesting about this. He's not all wrong, is he? Like there are hints of truth in what he has to say. And I don't think Shimei understands it. He definitely doesn't understand it. He says to David, verse 8, you have evil upon you. I mean, that's not false, is it? Nathan, back in, in chapter 12, says this, you will, there's a cost to pay for your sin. Evil will come upon you. Verse 7, Shimei calls David worthless. That's not the worst word to describe David these last couple chapters, is it? He was pretty worthless on that rooftop. It's pretty worthless to send that letter back to the front lines. I mean, I think it's a fair word, worthless. Verse 8, David, you are a man of blood. Yeah. Yeah, David is a man of blood. But it's not, he doesn't understand it fully, right? Because he's, his understanding of why all these, hap, all these things are happening are because of what happened to Saul and Jonathan and Abner and the whole dynasty of Saul. But we know that's not the truth. He doesn't understand the reason that it's happening, but it, it, the words he uses are certainly true. I mean, Saul and Jonathan, remember the battle? David wasn't even there. And what happened when David heard of the death of Saul and Jonathan? He didn't celebrate, he wept. Those deaths did not happen because of David like Shimei thinks. Yet, Shimei doesn't know about Bathsheba and Uriah. And, and all the, the sons of David and all the, the trauma and all the pain and all the fury that David has caused. 
And so there's truth in the cursing of Shimei. And Dave, this is what David hears. I mean, David's processing. It's like, it's kind of uncanny. Like, you speak truth. You're cursing me. And it's true. Not completely true. And he's just chewing on this. And then this character comes on the scene. His, his friend, Abishai. And he wants to solve the problem. I mean, he, he just wants to smash. Like, let's just... I can solve this cursing. Let's chop off his head. Well, that's one way to do it. But it's not what David's thinking. I mean, David is processing this. He's speaking truth. You know, I have bigger problems than this man. How do I want to react to this tormentor? And so David pretty much says, God sent this man. God is speaking to me through this man. And and Shimei doesn't even know it. Shimei doesn't even know what he's saying, yet God speaks to me. Perhaps in verse 12, maybe, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. He's saying, Shimei speaks truth, yet I cling to the verse that says, the Lord has put away your sin. God, be gracious to me, though the cursings are true. And so what does David do? He learns from it. He takes it. He carries it. And he says, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to cut his head off. We're going to just keep going. And so what a journey this has been. And you know who I thought of as we walked this, climbed this mountain with David? I thought of Jesus. It's just interesting to go now with this story in your mind, to go read Jesus' last four or five days on earth, to read it through the Gospels. And what you see is the hike from David sure sounds a lot like the hike that Jesus made. A thousand years later, Jesus would come into Jerusalem. And you know how he would come into Jerusalem on Holy Week? He comes grieving. Luke tells us he is weeping over Jerusalem, weeping over his rejection as king. Similar to David. David leaves Jerusalem weeping over his rejection, feeling like he's been rejected. Jesus comes into Jerusalem weeping over his rejection. And then those last couple days, John 18, 1 tells us Jesus crosses over the Kidron Valley. So this should have been Thursday, Thursday night. Then in Mark 14, Jesus would climb the Mount of Olives these markers, and it's almost like the gospel writers want us to make the connection from the march and the hike that Jesus made with the march and the hike that David made. In fact, later in the garden, Jesus would meet his betrayer. It's not, a, it's not Ahithophel, that was David's betrayer, but for Jesus, it's Judas. And it's interesting because when Jesus meets Judas in the book of John, he quotes David, who writes a psalm about Ahithophel, he writes a psalm about his betrayer. And in, and in connection with Jesus meeting Judas, he quotes David, who just realized Ahithophel had betrayed him. So we see these crossovers. We see these parables, or these parallels. On Friday, Jesus would meet some servants, a group of servants. Simon, who would carry the cross for him. Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus comes back on the scene, and they've come, they come risking their lives for King Jesus, much like the servant that David met. 
And then on Friday, he'd have his own group of tormentors as well as he carried the cross, went to the cross. I mean, all the people, the mobs screaming at him, the guards, save yourself. You save other people. You're the king of the Jews. Save yourself now. And what is Jesus, how does Jesus respond to the tormenting, to the mocking and the scoffing? Like David, he doesn't open his mouth. And so we see this connection, this, this crossover between David's hike of the Mount of Olives with Jesus's. But there's a really key difference. Jesus wasn't suffering and he wasn't grieving for the price of his own sinful choices. David was. Remember, this, David's paying the price. There's a cost to your sin and David is reaping it. But Jesus isn't paying the price of his sin. Jesus is making this hike so that he can pay the price for your sin and for my sin. Jesus wasn't worthless. He wasn't an avenger of blood like David is described, like David was. Jesus was innocent. David was guilty. Jesus wasn't climbing all the way up that mountain, all the way to the cross for himself. He wasn't going to, to summit the peak for him to escape. He was doing the conquering for you. And so here's how I picture it. We all have mountains to climb, right? We all have moments, seasons in our life, journeys of grief and pain and sadness and loss. All of us do, like David has here. I mean, he's lost his sons and his daughter, his kingdom, his job, his home. I mean, we all can, can it resonates with us. Some of you that right now are, feel like you are, you are, Ascending that mountain of grief. How, how'd my family, how'd, how did we end up like this? The pain of loss, you're, you're ascending that mountain. I've lost this person or that person. The pain of unmet expectations. How, how is this happening to me? Whatever the mountain that you climb, Whatever it is that you face, whatever it is that you are ascending, Jesus stands at the summit and he is calling out to you saying, don't stop, don't quit, take my rope, let me carry your pack. I climbed the mountain for you. Yes, you have a mountain to climb. But I climbed the mountain of all mountains, and I did it for you on your behalf. Don't give up. And this is what we see. Jesus wasn't like David. He was the better David. He climbed the bigger mountain, and he wasn't climbing for himself. He was climbing for you because we can't make it up that mountain. We can't, we can't climb it like Jesus climbed. And what he's saying, that what we see here as we look to Calvary and the cross is that he's saying, I did it so that you don't have to. So when you're on your smaller hills and, and they're legitimate and they're real and they are painful, put your gaze on me. I think of Hebrews, perfect verse for this. Hebrews 12, three, consider him. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're considering Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself 
Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So that when you climb that mountain, whatever it is, you aren't going to grow weary or faint-hearted. And so this morning, that's the, that's the, the message. Don't stop. Though you struggle, though there's loss, though there's pain, though there's heartache, don't grow weary. Don't be faint-hearted. Jesus has already won. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can read David in the eyes of Jesus. And we can see David in the eyes of the better David. And so God, we thank you for Christ. He climbed the mountain so that we don't have to. And, it, and we, we have many hard things that we have to scale up. Many of those, many people here this morning are facing. Whatever, whatever the grief, whatever the loss, whatever the pain, whatever the sadness is, God, I pray. Hebrews 11.3, may we not grow weary or faint-hearted, but may we consider Jesus. He climbed the mountain before us, for us, on our behalf so that our sins could be forgiven and we can be free and forgiven with him. And so God, help us this morning to remember, to remind ourselves of the victory that we have in Jesus. He stands at the summit. He's put the flag in the peak. He has won it for us. And may that just give us hope and encouragement as we summit our own struggles in our own lives. So God, now we sing that truth. We sing it and we pray it and we ask for your help to believe it as we do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.